Welcome to TNS, the new school at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for one in a series of podcasts that document three days of workshops on the study of the Enneagram, with panels exploring the different personality types, led by Beatrice Chestnut and hosted by Michael Lerner. This episode documents the Type 6 Enneagram panel, led by Beatrice Chestnut. Type 6. Um, the second type in the head triad. Uh, this is sometimes called the core fear point because it's at one of the vertexes of the inner triangle. Uh, and these core points are kind of the pure version of uh, each of the centers that they represent, in this case, the head center. Uh, and uh, it's also sometimes called the core fear point. Um, not all sixes are conscious of feeling fear, uh, but the personality is structured around a response to fear, especially early fear, and also is designed as a defensive structure to manage and cope with fear. Uh, again, not always conscious. Uh, but sixes are sometimes called the, the devil's advocate or the contrarian, uh, sometimes called the loyalist. Uh, sixes are a type that are... Um, uh, are are focused a lot on safety and security. And so this is someone who I, I referenced this morning as uh, scanning the horizon for danger and threats. Uh, and they tend to be very good at forecasting potential problems that may occur at some point uh, so that they can plan ahead of time and, and be prepared in case the worst happens. Uh, so at work, in work settings, they make very good troubleshooters. Uh, they ask a lot of questions often uh, when you have a project. Uh, they'll want to poke holes in it. And sometimes in a work setting when they don't know about the Enneagram, they think, what is, what's wrong with this person? They don't like anything I do, or they keep uh, trying to find a problem. Uh, but of course, when you're a really good problem solver, it's natural that you become a problem seeker. <laughs> and sometimes um, sixes are described as, uh, as looking for problems uh, in order to solve them. Uh, but uh, the truth is there are problems that crop up and uh, it's important that sixes, um, for them to feel ready and able in case uh, something bad happens or in case something scary occurs or in case there's a problem. Um, and so they become very good at being prepared. Uh, I know one six who said before she met the Enneagram, she didn't think of herself as having fear. She more thought she was a really good Girl Scout. Uh, like she was really good at kind of being prepared for anything and, and always having everything ready to go. Uh, so sixes are in, <clears throat> sixes are one of the types where they differ a lot according to the subtype. Uh, so Claudio Naranjo in, uh, in his books and lectures often says, you almost can't talk about one six. And I find that's really true. When I'm doing introductory workshops now on the Enneagram and I need to talk about type six, it's really hard for me to describe a six because it depends. On, it depends on the situation. And just like fight or flight are different responses to fear, there's one six that's more of a flight six, more of a I'm gonna run and hide or get away, withdraw or try to find a way to get away from a threat. And then there's another six that sort of moves toward the threat, 
uh, from in more of a fight stance uh, that takes the stance of being strong and intimidating and moving forward toward the threat to try to manage it because it feels more anxiety provoking to kind of hang around and wait for it to come get you than it does to go meet it. So, and then there's a third kind of six that is uh, more a six that's looking for a good authority and finding rules and reference points uh, in order to find a, uh, guideposts uh, in order to deal with fear. Uh, so as we go through, I'll try to really clarify the subtypes in this case because I think it's it really helps. It clarifies that, uh, and Naranjo in, in his book, Character and Neurosis, um, it's really interesting. So he has a chapter in every type, and it's one of the foundational books in terms of integrating the Enneagram with Western psychology. It's a little bit hard to read. Um, it's a little dense, but the sixth chapter is the only chapter in the whole book where he talks about every trait he describes in the six having in terms of the three subtypes. So for every tra trait, he says the affectionate six does it this way, the obedient six does it this way, and the aggressive six does it this way. So uh, the affectionate six would be the self-preservation six. This is a six that uh, copes with fear by... Uh, finding protectors and being friendly and warm. And if you want to find people who will help be with you in times of, uh, in scary times, it's important to be warm and friendly to attract uh, friends and protectors. Uh, the social six would be the obedient six. That's the six that's looking for an authority. It's not always a person. It can be a system of thinking or an ideology. It can be religion. It can be a political system. It can be a, a system for health. Uh, the guy in my book talks about when he found Ken Wilber's work, that became, he felt like he could finally relax Could he? because he had a system that would help him define his life and help him know what to do in any circumstance. So it's like finding rules and reference points for living. And then the one-to-one the -one or the sexual six is the counterphobic six. So the phobic six is more the self-preservation six. And the counterphobic six, the one that goes against fear with strength, uh, is the one-to-one -one or the sexual six. And this is what Naranjo termed the aggressive six because they tend to react to fearful situations not by feeling the fear, but by getting aggressive themselves, like moving toward that situation. Sometimes these are also people who do dangerous things, uh, like take part in dangerous sports or um, drive really fast in, in the, on the freeway uh, or things like this because it's almost like a courting of the danger is more uh, enlivening and uh, is, feels safer actually than kind of waiting and standing back. So sixes uh, have, because they're the core fear tribe, they tend to in relationships have issues with trusting people. Um, because again, they are looking for ulterior motives, false pretenses, expecting that something might go wrong. Uh, and so it takes them a while to trust people. Now, once they do trust, they tend to be very loyal uh, and really, really, really will stay with you. Uh, they also have contrarian mindsets in which when you say something, they automatically think of the opposite. Uh, one time I asked a six if they tend to think in terms of worst case scenarios, which it's sometimes said sixes do. And he said, well, actually, 
I think in terms of whatever scenario everyone else isn't thinking in. So he said when I was on a soccer team one time, he said if, if everyone thought we were going to win, I'd think we were going to lose. If everyone thought we were going to lose, I would think we were going to win. Um, so there is a way that they can automatically take the other side. They're very sensitive to power dynamics. It says if I, if I swallow whole whatever you tell me, like how am I protecting myself and staying safe? Uh, so there's that kind of that, that kind of a feeling of being on guard a little bit, being a, a watchful, uh, being aware of of what threats are out there, so they can be ready for them. So I think I'll leave it there and turn it over to the experts. So um, we'll start with you, Trent, if that's okay, and if you could just tell us a little bit about how you saw yourself as a six, what let you know you were a six, and how you see some of these. Uh, traits playing out in your life. Okay. Yeah, well, I'm just, I'm aware in this moment, I, I, I do a lot of leading workshops and stuff, but I'm aware of how uh, nervous I feel talking about myself in this vulnerable way. So I'm like, hmm, this is an interesting experience. Um, yeah, so I, I came to the Enneagram, uh, I actually had a good experience with a teacher pointing out my Enneagram type. I was in a, a large training uh, where I think almost everybody there had already had some familiarity with the Enneagram and were kind of going around the circle and naming their Enneagram numbers. And uh, he got to me, this is somebody who had been working with me for maybe five months or so. And, so he, knew, and he was a five, so he was very observant. And he, 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 seemed to, he seemed to be on to me. And it comes to me and he says, well, what's your Enneagram number? And I said, well, I'm, I'm a little skeptical of these kind of systems. I don't really get into this kind of thing. I mean, how can we know this is real? And, you know, I sort of see a little bit of, a little bit of nine and a little bit of this. And he just said, well, you're a six. <laughs> right. and that explains it, it all. Well, and it just pointed out how... We approach, at my experience, we approach the Enneagram through our Enneagram pattern, mm, you see. Yes. And so yeah. that's where it, it really showed me how deeply this goes. Yeah. And then that was an immediate conversion moment for me in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then another way in which it goes deeply, I was thinking of telling, I was thinking of what to say today, come up with a couple of stories or something to share. And um, to, just to show you how, subtle and tenacious these patterns are uh, around planning worst case scenarios or planning ahead for danger uh, and how automatic they are. Just last night I was uh, walking across the street. I live in San Francisco and it's sort of a busy intersection. And it's just actually one of these intersections where you've got three streets and there was this couple that was trying to catch the 37 bus like across two of the streets. And it's a very hard bus to get so it doesn't come very often. And they ran out into the middle of traffic, right? And so the first thing, I would just immediately, okay, bus coming, it's going to hit them. I have my phone in my pocket. I can call 911. I can run out and do CPR. All of this happened within seconds. I imagined all of this. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is not something that's, something I have to work for, it just happens. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll walk past a dog and I'll immediately think, oh, it could bite me this way or it could move this way. I'll walk around it this way. It just, these things just come. So I've learned it's not about getting rid of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, good luck with that, I think. You know what I mean? It's just that whatever that pattern is for you, good luck with it, right? It's more about just getting that space for me around it. And actually a little bit of humor, you know, a little bit of humor. I was in the middle of a lake once, uh, floating on a little 
tube thing. And I heard a speedboat uh, revving up. They, people had just gotten into the boat. They were still at the dock, and it was revving up. And I had a thought of it shredding me, you know, as it like <laughs> as it would like run over me, and I would be just in shreds, right? And it was just like what? And I just started laughing that this is so absurd how these things come, you know. And yet mm-hmm. that, that's what it is. So yeah. yeah. Um, the other story I wanted to share about uh, how how uh, ingrained these patterns are. One of the ways I started to really see it is I went back to an old email that I wrote after an incident in which I was uh, flying from Istanbul to Cairo and I was on a hijacked plane. Yeah, so you can imagine a six. Yeah, a hijacked plane, right? Well, it turns out that sixes, it's said sometimes, are notoriously calm in a crisis. Yes. Which was absolutely true. Yes. For me, because... When I discovered that we were being hijacked, I just accessed my hijack plan. You see, I had already had all of this worked out. You see, so, so there's a way in which I'm, and I didn't actually think that I was ever afraid. I always just thought I was being sensible and, and sort of, you know, why, why wouldn't you want to? Proactive. Proactive, yes, prepared. Like, why wouldn't you want to have a hijack plan yeah. if you're traveling, you know, right? So, um, but, but that I realized that it, 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 it's actually kind of ridiculous because my plan was just changing my seats and hiding my passport, and then I felt perfectly safe. <laughs> so it's like in another way, it doesn't make any sense. But so long I had the plan right. and I could execute it, then I could feel comfortable. And I was totally calm. And I was imagining, okay, well, if they come down the aisle, then I can trip them or I can you know, do something. So there's a way in which I think I move into courage because it's, and I really was, um, I learned something this morning when, when B was talking about how the six is kind of the action head type. Because it's a lot of planning for the action that, I'm, that I can do. So, I, you know, I think there was a moment in which I would have done something, but I had already thought about what that would be. Right. I don't know if that makes sense. So I think it's the spontaneity of the action that's the trouble. Right, right. Right. There's a lot of playing it out in your head ahead of time. Yeah, so... um, Which is why I think sixes tend to be calm in a crisis. It's almost like they've already thought through this. It's already happened. (laughs) And so now that it's actually happening, what they planned for is almost like a sense of calm and they can really act... Uh, in in good ways when the worst does happen. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's it exactly. Yeah. And and then I realized how how much of that's driven by fear. So I thought it was just planning, but actually I'm having to imagine. Is this on? I'm having to imagine all of the worst cases in my head. You see. So I'm basically scaring the shit out of myself constantly by imagining all of and running all the tables and the scenarios so quickly. It's a constant state of imagining myself in those situations. That's the fear. And I didn't realize that. I thought it was just planning. <laughs> I thought right. it was just planning. Right, which is a great example of how um, a six can feel like they're, um, they're not really afraid. I'm thinking... Ken, I think we may have a battery issue with this microphone. Oh, there we go. I think maybe I just hit it. Yeah. Okay, now there it's working. There we go. Okay, much better. Now it's working. Uh, it can go off. That's probably what happened. Thank you. Okay, yeah, yeah it's back. Now we're all going to be afraid of touching it. <laughs> Don't touch it. We're all going to be holding it like this. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. Problem solved. <laughs> you know. Yes, yes, yes. But yes, great examples of how it doesn't necessarily get labeled as fear in mm-hmm. your mind before you meet the Enneagram. It more is just like, okay, I've thought through that already and I've thought through this. But you're right. There's a way that while you're planning, you're scaring yourself by imagining that that's happening. And then I just wanted to say one more thing and then pass it down is that um, I was really appreciating how how how, how B was pointing to how difficult it is to type sixes and how we can be contrarian and whatnot. All that's true. A lot of it is um, about consistency. So there's a more subtle way in which it's not just safety. It's about consistency, reliability. And I once um, heard a teaching where the passion, the Enneagram fear was described as inconstancy. And there's a way in which I'm looking for things to make sense and, and be consistent and reliable. And the irony is I can be the most unreliable and inconsistent person. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think of myself as reliable, mm-hmm. but I, I can be angry and sad and over there and happy and social and withdrawn. I mean, I can do the whole range of things, mm-hmm. which can be really confusing, mm-hmm. except for the fact that there's a lot of inconsistency in testing others mm-hmm. for how consistent they're going to be in relation to me. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the actual nub of it for me, you know, Mm -hmm. is like seeing that part of that desire for something reliable and consistent Mm -hmm. in the way that I'm I'm actually manifesting and testing to get that. I think to me, that's the the nub of it. Yeah, that's really clear. And it's all, is it also about certainty? Certainty. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Certainty. Wanting, you know, something to be predictable, um, something to be, uh, sensible that the world makes sense especially on a rational level there's a kind of logic and when that's threatened it's kind of like the whole thing can spiral apart mm-hmm. and so for me what i discovered um, in in deep meditation retreats is that uh, my biggest fear is actually insanity mm-hmm. not not just that it's just that it's the whole thing is not going to make any sense Hmm. And uh, sometimes with all of the projecting and the sort of thinking, uh, overthinking, I can do things, say, start to believe things that actually aren't true. And I, it's very painful to have somebody say that I don't have a grip on what's going on. Mm-hmm. That's a very painful thing for me because sometimes they're right. I've made up all of these little conspiracies or these little things that are going on. And then on the flip side, I'm just going to say there's a gift because there are a lot of times I do know what's going on mm-hmm. and I can detect the subtle movements and, I, and I'm like, something's happened and I just knew it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it, then I, it's only when I'm intuiting it, not when I'm overthinking it, but it just comes to me and there's a real gift, yes. I think, for the six and being able to discern that. Yeah, it's important to say that uh, sixes are very intuitive. And it makes sense because the childhood strategy is predicting what the authorities are going to do ahead of time because they've got power over you, right? So sixes were sometimes raised by untrustworthy authorities or people who are too authoritarian or not there at all. And so there can be the sense of what's going to happen next. And if you're really good at predicting what's going to happen next, sort of that the the far reaches of that are being very intuitive, Mm. sort of sensing or knowing what's going to happen next. And sixes often have that intuitive ability. It's a more mental intuition than, say, the fours that we talked about last type that have a more emotional intuition, kind of knowing what's going on at the feeling level. Sixes can often say they know what's, know what's going to happen before it happens. 
And it's you can see it as an outgrowth of this ha mental habit of trying to predict what's going to happen next as a way of staying safe. Thank you. Thank you. Very clear. Mm -hmm. So I didn't. I, I, I realized I didn't uh, introduce everyone. So I wanted. We have Trent and we have Jen and we have Ed and we have Noah. So thank you all for being here. So Jen, how do you see uh, six playing out in your life? How do you relate to this type? I, um, you know, I listening to the fives. I, you know, I relate so much to that because as a six, one of my biggest strategies is just um, just the consumption of information. You know, I'm interested in everything and I want to, you know, read everything. And I, there's a thing we say sometimes at home, and I'll say to my husband, uh, you know, what I think is interesting, and he'll go everything. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and so when I, when I learned about the Enneagram, I was going to go to this uh, full-day workshop where they were going to type you. It was an introductory workshop. So I can't go into something like that without reading a book about it first um, because you certainly can't go in unprepared. And so as, as I'm reading through, you know, there's, you know, there's always, for all of us, there's always other types where we can see behaviors like where you're like, oh, yeah, I do that, you know? Like I look just like a three at work. You know, I'm, I'm a workaholic. I, you know, I'm super invested in my job. Um, and then, you know, you get to five and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I, I could see that, that just that hunger for, for information. And then I get to the six and I go, yeah, but that's what it feels like on the inside. You know, that constant, um, just watching everything. You notice we're all very comfortable because we have our backs to the wall. Um, <laughs> This whole time we've been sitting over by the, you know, I've been sitting over by the door and, um, and I can tell you where all the exits in the building are. Mm -hmm. And just, but, but more than that, you're looking at, I look constantly at, and I think this is where the information piece comes in, just, just patterns and, you know, what are people going to do? And someone last, the last weekend, um, for the heart type, someone brought up the question of types and sort of like extrasensory, you know, abilities and things like that. And, and you said, well, sometimes six can be seen as psychic. And as a skeptic, I'm like, well, it's not psychic. And I said to my husband, you know, but anybody could identify those things coming if they were paying attention, you know? <laughs> But nobody pays attention like a six. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, exactly. nobody else has to know, has to remember what everyone was wearing so that in case they see them later, they, you know, know where'd that person come from. You know, nobody else needs to look at all that. Mm -hmm. And so it's that, just that sense of the world as being unreliable. And then, you know, for me, I was raised in just in a very chaotic sort of intermittently abusive household. My mother is um, a, a drug addict and she's also severely bipolar and really loving. I mean, just incredibly loving. I grew up with this, this real sense of being loved, but her, you know, her partners were like, whether it was a stepdad or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever, were better or worse at parenting. And so, you know, there's that, like, that chaotic, you know, childhood where there isn't anything to rely upon but yourself, but also it adds that sense that even people who really love you can still hurt you. Mm. You know, it's not just the outside world. It's even the people you love are going to hurt you because they're not paying attention mm. or just through their own, you know, stuff that happens for them. So it is just that. And it was like, I was thinking about fear and I think people can get a perception that the sixes are just like, you know, we're up here trembling, but it's almost like, I don't know if anyone else can relate to this, but it's almost like when you're an alcoholic, you never notice being hung over because you're just hung over all the time. <laughs> You know, right. and so when, I think for me, when you're a six, you're, that's just what it feels like. You just feel mm -hmm. like that all the time. So you don't really notice that that's fear. It's just like you said, it's just, you know, I'm just realistic about the world. I'm prepared. I'm paying attention. I'm, you know, mm -hmm. present in it. Mm -hmm. um, really clear. 
I don't know what else I would say, but I would say some of the other six things that I think I really identify with are um, just that, that real push pull with authority. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's, <laughs> there's just so few authority figures that you can really trust. And I mean, I don't trust anybody, but you know, there's just, you know, it's so hard to find people that you can trust and, you know, are they going to follow the rules? Are things going to be safe? Are they going to be consistent? Are they going to take care of people? And then just that sort of, um, that sort of champion of, of the underdog when, you know, when people, I know I have a really intense and um, annoying sense of, you know, fairness or when people are being abused or when things are, you know, I'm, I'm actually a, a chronic ruiner of everything because like my, <laughs> my husband and I went to Atlanta a couple of years ago and we landed really late and uh, we were both just really hungry and we started looking for someplace to eat and he goes, oh, well, there's a Chick-fil-A and I'm like, well, you're not eating that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> You better save some of those pretzels from the flight because, you know, so it's just, you know, I kind of like one of my one of my TAs came up to the other day with this book and I went, oh, well, like that guy's trash, you know, so you can't you can't enjoy that. So I just I, I ruin things with my sense of, you know, fairness and what's right. And is this someone who has been, you know, sneaky or abusive or, you know, things like that. So it's um, which is another, I think, side of just that constant vigilance. Right, know? right. And I think. That anti-authority, the, the authority issue is very important. It's a real big, like sometimes when I'm not sure if someone's a six or not, that's the deal. Like you need to have How an authority How much do you fight issue. with your boss? You exactly. Know? <laughs> right, right. And it, it's, so for you, is it more suspicious and skeptical or is it more rebellious or, or how would you, how would you say that authority issue plays out exactly? I think, well, I mean, I think when I was younger, I think there was more of a pushback. There was more of a rebellion. More rebellion. I mm-hmm. think I'm better now at kind of judging, you know, where people are coming from. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's definitely a, it, there's, there's definitely a, you know, I can, I can work with people as long as I feel like they're not actively trying to be, you know, mm-hmm. dishonest or take advantage or, you know, be mm-hmm. injurious to people. Mm-hmm. Okay. But Great. that's, that's kind of new. I, that's really clear. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, Ed, how, how did yes. you know yourself as a six, and how does this show up for you? Oh, um, well, uh, B and I have been friends now for probably 20 years, mm-hmm. and she first invited me to come witness an Enneagram panel. They were hour long. I think we had a. You were going through all of them in a in a weekend, I believe, and so. I was there for the whole thing, and I was witnessing the threes, and I really identified with being a three, um, very much about achievement and accomplishment and getting things done. Um, but it wasn't until the six panel came up, and I started to w- listen to them, and I go, oh, my God, these are my long-lost brothers and sisters. <laughs> Where the hell have you been all of my life? Like, like, I had no idea that people felt the same way that I did. And it was, and I can feel it now, it was a very emotional space for me to, to witness that. And every time I recount that story, I could, I could, I could feel it coming up for me viscerally. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm a, I'm a six <laughs> and, and I'm on the counterphobic side of things. Um, I, I definitely have issues. I don't want to say issues. Um, I struggle with authority, um, with authority. It's a matter of respect. 
I need to know that they've thought things through, that they've looked through other viewpoints, that they've seen the other side or where their weaknesses are um, so that I can feel comfortable that it's somebody I can trust, that they're also looking at the bigger picture of things. Um, when that's not visible or I don't see it, then I lose respect really quickly and I don't trust them anymore. Um, for that reason, I'm self-employed. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you are the only one you can trust. So I'm the only one I can trust. <laughs> You're like Jen. You don't trust. <laughs> uh, a few years ago, I was um, kind of in a bad space, and I was uh, getting some counseling. And during that process. Um, the therapist was asking me about my upbringing and uh, specifically about my mom. And it turns out that right after I was born, literally right after my born, my mom started suffering migraine headaches, but she'd only have them on the weekends. And at that time, there was no medication really for it. So she would do her thing all week long and then Friday would come around and she would knock out. And she'd be out for the weekend. And so as an infant, as a young person, you know, mom's the center of the world. And so during the week, everything's great. And then the weekend comes around and mom, mom is nowhere there. And so my own theory behind this is that there's a distrust to authority or there's uncertainty. And then there's fear about who's going to watch out for me. So I feel like I've developed a way of needing to do that for myself. Um, and instead of feeling the fear, I tend to be more aggressive towards it. Um, you know, people ask, you know, my relationship for fear is like, what is that? I don't, it doesn't show up in terms of me being afraid. It shows up in me in terms of planning out for everything, making sure I've uncovered all the rocks to see what's underneath it. Um, and, and then, eventually making a decision to do something, um, a lot of analysis paralysis that, that occurs. Um, what else can I talk about? Hmm. I remember one time you said that you're always look kind of like what Jen said, you're always looking for inconsistencies, inconsistencies. in someone's behavior. Yes, for sure. You're listening to a TNS episode from the Enneagram panel workshop series with Beatrice Chestnut and host Michael Lerner. Um, and the vigilance part, uh, Jerry and I were vacationing in, in Greece and we were driving down a one lane road in each direction and, you know, we're in Greece, so I'm paying attention to everything that's going on around me. I'm driving and up ahead, I see a couple, an older couple on a four wheel ATV and all of a sudden his eyes behind the helmet, I could see it, his eyes got really big and I'm like, oh my God, he's going to run into us. And sure enough, he bolted over into the oncoming traffic and I stopped our car and he came charging into us and hit us head on. And I'm like, you have no idea what, what would have happened if I hadn't been aware of what was going on and came to a full stop before he hit us. And it didn't phase me, you know, like I was prepared for it. And those split second things, you know, I'm always looking for it. And so when they do happen, that's the one consistent thing is that I'm, I'm not out of sorts. It's there, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's automatic. Um, and I 
I've come to find that very comforting as well. Um, but the underlying part of that is that because of the vigilance, there's a certain level of anxiety that goes along with being vigilant all the time. Um, and as you were saying, you're not aware of it because it's always there. Um, it's only to the times where I find myself moving towards nine where I can be in the flow or more relaxed. I'm like, oh, wow, that, that's a lot of energy that goes there. <laughs> like, you know, I had no idea how much energy that goes into to being that way all the time. So that's, that's how I know I'm a six. <laughs> can, can, you add, can you add, there is one more piece to that Greece story that you yes. added that's a little bit about being counterphobic. Oh, about being angry at the guy? Well, what happened? Yes. After, yeah. I, I, after I, after I saw that he was going to be okay, um, <laughs> I get really angry um, at, at them for, for not paying attention to what they were doing. Um, and putting everybody in a dangerous situation. And it was really interesting to, to witness all the people that had come out to, to make sure everybody was okay. People could feel my energy. It was really apparent that this guy's like half cocked, you know? Um, and it took a little while to calm down to the, to the point where I could be compassionate with everybody and, and it worked out fine, you know? But there was a moment there where I was upset with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Understandable. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So Noah, what does this look like for you? How do you see six playing out in your life? Wow. Uh, well, going right down the line, I've, I've heard so many things that I'll, I'll need to touch on here. Uh, first I'll say my heart's beating really rapidly just because I'm the center of attention. <laughs> um, Second of all, I'll say that in this sweater is tissues, paper towels, hand sanitizer, chocolate because I'm a little bit of a sugar addict, uh, and I don't want to get a headache in the middle of this presentation. So there you go. Uh, that's just to begin. So uh, Trent, I love what you said about uh, we all approach the Enneagram through our type without knowing it. I took a test before being, uh, you know, typed and sort of exploring this concept with about a group of 30 people uh, with a teacher that I very much admire and respect. Um, and so, you know, I kind of got these results of everything was tied. You're a six, seven, four, two, nine, all getting the same number for how much of me was each number. Uh, and so I immediately went into, I was telling everybody on the way in, this is complete BS. None of this matters. This is, you know, this and that, and all these really negative thoughts about what we were about to do. Then I started seeing everybody go around the circle and I go, oh, wow, this is very real. It works. It's completely on point except I can't figure out me. And this whole room, you know, seems to have a much better grasp on themselves than I do. It may be saved for one or two other people. And, uh, you know, the day went by and everybody sort of seemed to have figured themselves out. And it took me until the next day doing sort of a private one-on-one -on -one discussion. Uh, and it all came down to this issue of whatever the question was asked of me about my internal experience, yes, but no, either or it it's it's both it depends <laughs> or ultimately it's circumstantial yes it's, it's context about, dependent yes it's if it's if the situation surrounding your question is a well then my answer is completely to the left over here and if the circumstances surrounding your question are b then i'm all the way as far right as i can go in my answer so it was all of those things 
Uh, and yeah, I always thought of myself as an affable, easygoing, happy-go-lucky guy. No, it's... <laughs> no. Um, I, I may be affectionate, I may be warm, I may be funny, but easygoing, no. It just, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't ring true now that I've observed myself in this special way. Um, so let's, let's talk other, uh, other pieces. The hypervigilance. When I feel a presence behind me as I'm walking on the street, the urge to turn around and check them out is just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. It's, it's truly a, a mindfulness practice for me to say, okay, I'm just going to continue walking and whoever is back there is just a fine person with no negative intentions. <laughs> that's, that's a really big, hard exercise. Um, Okay, uh, preparing for, I'm always preparing for bodily harm or danger or attack. I've never been in a fight, not one time. But uh, I, I do a little custodial job at a, at a CrossFit gym. And, you know, I got into this habit of, as I was opening the door around 11.30 p.m. or whatever, to, you know, start throwing the trash bags out and getting ready to move them to the dumpster, you know, opening that door just completely in my imagination of who was out there and what was going to happen. So I would, in my right hand, I would hold this wrench. And the wrench, it's, it's just, uh, the, the wrench is just me, you know, feigning. I have the wrench and in my left hand, in my pocket is a screwdriver. So I'm going to wave at them with the wrench and they think that that's all there is. And then I get them in the gut with the screwdriver, you know, so it's, there's never been anybody outside that door, you know? Um, just prepared for preparing for nothing. Um, and so let's see, uh, authority, my, my thoughts on authority are generally who would want to be in a position of authority or power if they do not intend to misuse it. That's, that's my, that's my honest first thought. If you want to be president, you're probably shady. That's, that's my thought. Uh, there's, the, you know, if if you don't need to abuse power, then you don't need to have power, right? Is my is my thought. Um, when people say, "Well, no, you don't vote," you're apathetic. I say, "Well, I just truly believe at my core that my vote is put into a suitcase and thrown into a river." <laughs> And, and that makes it really hard to commit to any course of action. That indecision analysis paralysis was brought, brought up. And it's just, it's because to me, the world is full of chaos, conspiracy, and untruth. Uh, in fact, the idea of truth to me is like an oxymoron. There is no truth. Uh, I, can, I can look at objectively observable phenomenon, again, gathering information, wanting to know what's what the boundaries are and needing information to feel like I can move forward. But, you know, I can look at objective phenomenon and and try to organize my perception around what I see. And once I've sort of organized my best guess, not truth, just my best guess, um, I'm just kind of sitting around waiting to be proven wrong. Uh, You know, for the, the next thing that I learn that will show me why my current perception is wrong or incomplete. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm all about the conspiracy theories and, you know, what's going on in Antarctica and all those (laughs) kinds of things. Uh, and then let's see, there's something else that I meant to touch on here that I can't, oh, um, phobia and counterphobia, the, the pushing back against the fear 
I very much find myself in the self-prez six. So when I end up counterphobic, angry, aggressive, approaching fear in that way, for me, that's very much an out-of-body experience. The anger demon has got me, and uh, I'm not really in control of what I'm doing is how it feels. Um, I'm on the attack in a way that's scary to me as much as it's scary to the other people. Um, And then I find a little bit of that approaching fear in my socializing, uh, where I I can really feel when I'm going to make the choice that's not always the choice I make, to say to a stranger, oh, hey, how about this thing that I see right there that maybe we have in common? To me, that's just like this moment of like, I've just popped open a soda can and there's no lid. I have to drink the whole thing or pour it out, it's, but it's open now, you know? Um, and so to me, that's a counterphobic moment kind of of saying, well, I'm not going to sit here and wonder what does this person think of me or what's going on inside their head over there. I'm going to say, hey, I'll try to get to know you and essentially uh, testing for me that idea of sort of testing, poking things to see if they'll be aggressive. It's, it's about disarming whatever fear I have projected onto that thing. Um, so if I can get to know it or somebody, I can disarm whatever I think is terrifying about them. Um, I guess I'll end on the... The way I feel in life is that I come into new situations and experiences cloaked, meaning I'm wearing sort of an invisibility cloak of, uh, I don't really understand how I do it, but there's this idea of, you're not going to get to know me unless I decide that that's cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I essentially, I come in cloaked and I go up to the thing or the person and I go, you know, a little push, push, tap, tap. Put, you know, are you are you dangerous? Are you harmful? No. Okay. And when I can finally develop that trust of okay, I've I've pushed and tapped a little bit, and nothing bad has happened. Maybe this person seems nice and interesting, and now I'm curious. Whoosh, up comes the cloak, and I'm I'm here and I'm ready to engage with my real self. Um, but until I can find that first modicum of trust, I'm I'm wearing my invisibility cloak of you know you won't really know who I am or what I'm about. You know. Yeah, and, and on that, so do you, what does it take for you to trust someone? And how does that, the trust development process go from there? It's, this one's really hard for me to say because, um, like, at, at this point, the person I would identify as the love of my life is, is a four and has that very much that push-pull uh, relationship style. And I've developed a very strong trust for this person, and so it, it's confusing to me because usually I am looking for that idea of predictability, consistency, it will be the same way. Um, It's predictability and consistency for me are, again, elusive and ethereal. Uh, (laughs) But I like to say that many, many times I've heard the phrase in life, no news is good news. And Coming from the sixth perspective, that is just a, the most untrue statement I have ever heard. <laughs> like, if, if the news is good, that's great. I'm, I'm excited to hear the good news, no doubt. But if the news is bad, I need to know that too. Because no news, the unknown, that is the ultimate fear. You know, I'm not going to jump into a lake if I can't see to the bottom. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, if I don't know, I, I can't go. You know? Plus there might be a guy on the dock. 
in a boat. <laughs> you never know. You never know. That's it. You never it. know. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. right. So you've touched on a few things I just want to highlight. One is that the counterphobic versus phobic spectrum um, most sixes will say there's no such thing as 100% phobic and 100% counterphobic. Uh, now, usually, especially depending on what subtype you are, you fall at one end or the other, self-preservation subtype more at the phobic end, uh, sexual subtype more at the counterphobic end, social subtype kind of in the middle is sort of a mix. Um, but even the most uh, phobic sixes will tell you they have experiences of counterphobia on a regular basis. And I think that was a great example. I hadn't really thought about that, that even just like really opening yourself up to somebody can be a counterphobic experience, especially if you're a phobic six. Um, and so it's important to keep that in mind that there's that that's a spectrum and they tend to one, usually they're, you're at one end or the other most of the time, but it's not uh, all the time. And it's it's a little bit more of a mixture in reality. And also you point you mentioned projection and that's the main defense mechanism of the six. We talked about fours introject. They take something outside themselves inside themselves in order to control it unconsciously. Sixes do the opposite. They project things outside themselves that they don't want to own or that are uncomfortable inside and then imagine that it's coming from out there. So you've heard them talk about how they do that with fear often. They may, they may um, be fearful inside in a way they may not fully register or own and then they see you as being someone who means them harm. Uh, so the fear gets projected out onto others. And then of course, it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy if you uh, if you treat that person as dangerous, and then they become dangerous. So sometimes that that can happen for the six. Okay. Life is all gray area. Yes. Now that is a statement of the self-preservation six, who sees life in terms of gray and not black and white. But the social six doesn't like that, doesn't like ambiguity, uncertainty, gray. And so social sixes tend to see the world a little bit more in black and white. Uh, not 100%, but more because they're looking for rules and reference points. They're looking for some sort of certainty because the certainty that they find often in an authority figure or an impersonal authority like a system or an ideology helps them settle their fear because they know what rules to follow. Um, and so sometimes they can sort of be even too much of a true believer in something uh, because they give their authority to that, that system of rules so that they can feel uh, more safe. And I'm looking, I'm always looking for the thing I can be the true believer in. I'm, mm. I'm wanting yes. and seeking and asking others, yes. deferring out to try to find where the black and white is and the markers and seeing them in the same place all the time. But I can never get there. And because, you can always ask more questions. There's always something to doubt, right? Yes. You know, I, I, as much as I look for the black and white, I get stuck in the gray. Yeah. Uh, and I can be pushed to the point of, you know, finding, okay, well, this is my opinion. I, I've found the the black and white, but <clears throat> even when I find that place, it's usually yeah, a contradiction of some other thing that has been posed from outside of myself, mm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, the, the devil's advocate stance. So. All right, beautiful. Thank you so much. Very clear. So why don't we start with Trent again, and I want to just ask you, um, and, and too, if you want to say what your subtype is, that might help people. Uh, and then also, like, what's helped you grow? How has understanding all the, these six patterns helped you uh, on your growth path? 
Yeah, I, I'd say that I probably lean self-preservation first and I'm pretty close social second. So mm-hmm. I'm sort of maybe a mix of the two. Um, but I think I'm more warm in that self-preservation way, mm-hmm. typically. Um, and then the sexual counterphobic would probably be my least. But I, I really see all three come out, you know, a lot. So in different contexts, um, I can really relate to all three of them. Uh, I really appreciate hearing from all of you, actually. I, I, was just, I was reflecting on what Noah was just saying about no news is definitely not good news <laughs> for a six. Because that, to me, is where the projection part really lives. You see, if, if, if I don't mind if you're angry at me. I don't mind if you have a hostile intention toward me as much because I can prepare for that. What I don't like is when I don't know what's going on. And then I go into the whole, I have to go to the worst case scenario first to prepare. Why wouldn't you prepare for the worst intention you have toward me if I don't know what it is, you see? And then back up from there. So one of the things that's helped me is just to relax that a little bit. And as I, as I, see, oh, I'm going into that, I don't know what their intention is toward me, they must be hostile, blah, blah, blah. If I can relax that, come into my body, coming into the body is really helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, All of the good things start to come next. You know what I mean? If I just let it, I can start Mm -hmm. to see, oh, well, actually, I think they're just kind of embarrassed, Mm -hmm. which is why they're not coming toward me. And then Mm -hmm. there's almost like a ring of truth to it that Mm -hmm. comes when I'm more settled. So -hmm. if I allow myself not to get completely hooked by that first worst case scenario, um, I can can actually more intuitively come into what's going on. So Mm -hmm. that's been really helpful to me coming into the body. Right, getting and, in touch with your so, body. Sometimes when I was working with one six, he would go around and around and around in his head, and I say, "Well, what happens if you go into your gut? Mm. What is your gut telling you? You know, or what is your heart telling you?" So getting out of the head into the body is a good way to get more in touch with feelings and physical sensations, and like you talking about, like the real evidence that's in front of you, aside from the story you might make up. Yes. Right, and then I love that you said you might pick up on something, and then you get an intuitive hit, like ah. Yeah, that's right, you know, and sort of you start to sort of sense what what might be more true. That's it. And then learning to trust that intuition. Yes. Because it's not the figuring out that ever really gets me to the truth. It's the intuitive hit of when I'm more relaxed and, oh, you know what, that's totally what's going on with them. And I can be compassionate. Yes. Uh, then rather than fearful. Right. Um, right. And I also hear you saying it's for sixes, a big growth piece is learning to own their own authority, mm. right? Instead of projecting sort of the authority out there and the fear of authority out there, being your own good authority, like you're saying, recognizing like, oh, I just got a, real, a, a really accurate sense of what's going on with that person. Um, and trusting that, that's like you trusting your own inner authority, your own sense of, your ability to kind of say what's true or not really, aside from the fear. That's it. I just want to say one more thing really quickly mm-hmm. is that um, the poking, that's, I mean, yes. I, I, I get feedback all the time that yeah. I'm a poker. But there was a time, there was a time when I would physically poke people. Like, you know, I would sort of like tickle or poke or, and then, you know, it really took a compassionate friend to say, you know, that's not okay. People don't, people don't like that. But that's what, I mean, that's what it was, was testing, it's testing, testing. testing. Yes. But now it's a kind of more metaphorical poke. But I'd poke a lot. That's, yeah. Yes. That's questioning, poking, poking, poking holes. And 
and it's and it's it's almost a physical. I almost get a picture of like poking the beast, you know, like That's you know, it. to see like, are you going to react now? Are you going to react now? Because it's it's better for you if you get data about yes. what's going to what what will set them off than it is just sitting back there wondering what's going to happen next or what what will set them off. And then if if a friend is is unclear to me and I start poking and then they get angry, then I say, well, I knew you were angry all along. So I'm, <laughs> I'm actually safe. I'm safe when they finally say they're angry, but then I made them angry by poking and questioning and you see what I mean? Yes. But that's safer. That's the self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, then I'm like, well, they're angry. Okay, well, that feels good. Yeah. Now I know. I, I knew. <laughs> I know. There's I something so certain here. They're angry. Okay. Yes. That I can relate to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so Jen, what's helped you grow? And, and do you have a sense of what your subtype is? You know, I, I think it's, it's really, I mean, that made a lot of sense to me. I, I think I tend to, you know, they, they all kind of made sense to me mm-hmm. in different ways. I think um, the social probably makes the least amount of sense to me because, because I am such a skeptic, you know, because because I integrate everything and I say, oh, well, I really believe most of this, but then there's pieces, you know, I always am looking for, you know, what's the loophole? What's mm-hmm. the what's the flaw? Um, I think that I I tend to have, um, you know, I'm, I was listening to what Tracy was saying uh, in the five panel about being really introverted, but being able to be um, really social and really outgoing. And that's exactly what I do. And so I was thinking, oh, maybe I'm social, but... But then I realized I don't really do it to form alliances. This is going to sound terrible. Sorry. I don't really do it to form alliances so much as I do it to control situations. Mm. Because if I, because I do it more in situations that are uncomfortable where I'll talk to people I don't know or I'll, you know, um, approach them. And it's like I'll, because I want to bring people in this close, but I'm never going to bring them in this close, mm. you know, mm-hmm. but if they're this close, I know exactly what they're doing. You can so, watch them better. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a certain amount of, you know, it's a certain amount of like, you know, trying to, in trying to kind of control those situations. And I was, um, because so much of it, and, and this is, and this is really where the work is for me is so much of it is about, you know, do I really have to control all of the power dynamics around me? You know, do I really have to constantly be, and that doesn't mean I have to be in charge all the time, but I have to have a vision of, you know, where everybody is and, you know, where I am in that. And um, I was thinking about this. I have this, uh, I have a TA who was my TA for a while. And recently she's been um, copying the homework for some of my students because she's working out of the same book with the teacher she's working with right now. And it takes her an extra like 10 minutes a week. And she's been doing it for about a month, and I am, like, viscerally uncomfortable with it. And it just it's just been really bugging me. And I keep thinking, oh, I'm going to lie to her and tell her we're working out of a different book now. You know, or I'm going to tell her, oh, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to do it before she does. You know, and I'm going, like, why am I doing this? And this is a woman who is, like, starting in a teaching position next semester that I helped her get. But... But her doing something for me just made me, it, it threw off the power dynamic for me, mm-hmm. you know? And so I realized it's, that's just so much more one-to-one. That's yes. so much more, you mm-hmm. know, I don't present a position of strength like, oh, I'm this big, strong, you know, person. Mm-hmm. But it's still a, a position of being the 
being the authority figure or being or the, invulnerable. Yeah, or being invulnerable or kind of having all the answers. Mm. And I, I have to inject a lot of like warmth and humor into it because otherwise it would be unpalatable. Mm. You know, I would be, mm. it would be harder. To be the authority. It's hard to Yeah, be, so yeah. I mean, I think especially as a woman, I have to soften it a lot. Mm. Um, mm. But it just, it, you know, it's like I really, really, we talked about it last time. I've been really wrestling with subtype and that's, I mean, that just ended up being the thing that made the most mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of, the vast amount of work I clearly need to do on myself. Um, <laughs> you should see my New Year's resolutions. It's like 50, you know, items with photographs and circles and lines drawn on the other side and um, eight by 10 glossies. Um, so in terms of the, you know, for a while I had a post-it that sat on my binder at work and it said, uh, it's not personal. And that, had it there for like a year. And that's what it took for me to not take what everybody, you know, if someone said something, said it had an opinion that disagreed with me or questioned something that had happened, I would, you know, take it personally and it's an attack and it's, you know, they hate me or they don't think I'm doing a good job. And I, I had to have that. And that really helped a lot. It's bizarre. It's post-its are amazing. They're an amazing therapeutic tool. <laughs> um, but but it, it just, that helped a lot. And so that's kind of the area that I, you know, clearly need to do a lot of work on. It's just being able to, you know, trust people, you know, this much or be able to kind of let, let go of some of that control and maybe things are going to be okay. I think, um, you know, everyone will be happy to know I have a therapist. <laughs> um, and, and also, you know, I'm married to a three, and so, like, a six who uh, looks like a three on the outside and a three, and that's not a household you'd think of where there'd be a lot of authenticity. Um, <laughs> but my husband and I are both in recovery, and being in recovery really requires you to look at yourself, even the gross parts, you know? I'm not in any position to judge anybody because I don't remember my 20s, you know? And so— it really helps you look at yourself and to take accountability and to be authentic and to try to be, you know, vulnerable and and think about your actions. And I think that, you know, you were talking about cracks and things can be a strength. You know, that's huge. That's huge for me. It really saved me from being much more of a monster. Um, The fact that I really, I do have to look at, you know, my own part in things and I have to try to be authentic. Um, and and I have like <laughs> I have like the perfect job for a six. I work with emotionally disturbed boys who have behavior problems. So and a lot of them have been really traumatized. And so, you know, they really need this safe place, but they also need this constant supervision and this constant, mm-hmm. you know, um, kind of maintenance about the structure and what's going on around them. And nobody understands how to create safety better than a six. You know, mm-hmm. so it's just the perfect, you know, it's the perfect job for me. And so that helps me to try more things, you know, because I'm really good at it and I feel really comfortable there, I can push myself sometimes in a way that I couldn't in an environment where I wasn't as sure as myself. So I can, you know, my therapist will tell me, well, why don't you try letting someone else do something? And I'm like, you know, and then, (laughs) and then I, you know, what's that? And then, and then I can try to do it. Um, Yeah. So that's beautiful. Thank you. Really clear. So Ed, what, what kind of things have helped you grow? What, what have you done since you found out you were six differently in terms of developing? Um, well, awareness f- from the get-go. Um, watching how other people respond to me, um, for one. Uh, knowing that, being aware that when I'm in 
maybe I'm feeling fear and it's coming off as an aggressive stance. So there's like a boundary and, and people are more standoffish. Um, learning to smile helps a lot. <laughs> um, learning to be vulnerable helps a lot in inviting people to engage. Um, and it helps calm my fears, my anxiety, if I can smile at myself in, in the moment and being aware that this is going on. Uh, a lot of times it's unconscious. I'm, I'm not aware that it's going on. I'm in my head going about my business and um, and I notice at, at some point in time, I notice there's an uh, avoidance of other people approaching me. I don't, and so there comes my uh, counterphobic side, you know, that, that, that underlying anxiety and fear that shows up. Um, the growth process is really vulnerability um, mm -hmm. and, and learning to get comfortable being exposed um, and finding a safe way in order for me to do that. Um, right now, I, I play in a, um, a men's tennis league and I get to be aggressive and assertive when I'm out on the court with my teammates. And then when we're done, we can talk, I can start to talk about real life things and I can see how it catches them off guard. Like all of a sudden it gives them permission to also be vulnerable and, uh, and, and we get closer from it. So that's my little experiment space. It's my safe spot. And I'm trying to find ways to branch that out into other parts of, of my life. You're listening to a TNS episode from the Enneagram Panel Workshop Series with Beatrice Chestnut and host Michael Lerner. And you're probably hearing that sixes are naturally modest and humble. There's a, like not a big ego. There's a lot of self-deprecation, let's put it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so let's see, subtype and growth. Um, I reconfirmed my self-pres subtype today by driving 10 miles on the side of a mountain with no guardrail. Mm. <laughs> and and uh, uh, just so you all know, I am looking for recommendations about a different way back. Um, but the idea, the idea with that whole situation was... For that 10 miles, that's a very tense situation for me. 10 into 12 miles an hour. If anybody, I thank God there was nobody behind me the whole time because I'd need all the turnoffs, uh, all the, you know, pull-outs. Pull um, and so, yeah, that I, I reconfirmed that, yeah, it's all about bodily harm, fear of physical danger, safety, what could go wrong in the realm of literally survival. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay, subtype done, okay. Um, <laughs> growth. So, I catch myself sixing uh, very often now. You know, catching myself in the act was the first step, just like you were saying, awareness. Um, and so, I now am able to do two things when I catch myself sixing. And, and the first thing is I can say, okay, my imagination has taken me very far right now. Mm. It's taken me in a negative direction, but if it can take me that far in that direction, my imagination could hypothetically take me equally as far in a different direction. So I try to use the power of my imagination to whatever the most positive outcome could be. 
as a, as a counterbalance to the most negative outcome, which comes to me so effortlessly. Um, <laughs> delightful, right? And so then let's see, what else do I do when I catch myself there? Um, I also have been able to say to myself in those times, okay, I've caught myself doing this, this habit. So I'll try to think like someone who's not a six. Someone who, let's, let's, if I had somebody standing beside me who is any other number, this thing that I think of as an 85% chance of happening to 100% chance of happening, this worst case scenario, would they agree with those numbers? Would they think it was more of a 10% chance, five, 1%? Very often 1% is the answer I get. Uh, and so, yeah, those things that I think of that other people go, really? You're wasting your energy and time thinking about that? That's crazy. That will never happen. That's the one percent times I'm talking about, um, and so. Hijacked plane. Right. <laughs> when you end up in the one percent, yeah, you you do real well as a six. Um, and I've been there a few times where I got that thing that was so impossible happened, and I said to everybody around me, "See, see, you know." Um, okay. Then there's also the thought loop, where you know uh, there's a situation that has to be tended or something that has to be done. And I immediately start my internal questioning. Question A leads to B, B leads to C, C leads to D, E, F, and G, and G leads right back to question A. <laughs> I'm on a thought loop. I get right back to the beginning where I started. And, I ha and in those times, I think to myself, well, okay, I'm, I'm having all these thought, this thought loop exists because I don't want to start acting and end up with these worst case negative scenarios I'm imagining. And so I then have to reframe for myself and say, okay, staying on this thought loop is also a negative scenario. Mm. It's not good to be here. This is not productive. And sometimes I like to tell myself, hey, think like an eight, you know? Uh, any action is better than no action, even if it's the wrong action, because then you can start making progress towards what the right one would be, right? Um, lear learning from the errors or, or whatever, what have you. Um, and then my very favorite thing since I've learned about the Enneagram, uh, me and my girlfriend do this, the six and the four together. This is very powerful because we're such, you know, kind of confusing types, a lot of dichotomy, tendency to catastrophize, you know, in very different ways. Um, and then, of course, there's the projection and the introjection. So those go really interestingly together. <laughs> and, and so we've started to play this little game called, what did you, what did you hear? Um, and it's, it's basically this thing where when, when I say something that I feel is just me making conversation, and all of a sudden we're escalating voices and getting aggressive going on, or vice versa, she says something that's to her just casual conversation, and I get riled and reactive. We're both reactive triad, I think, in our conflict mm -hmm. style. So, you know, there's a lot of immediate escalation sometimes. And so we back up and we say, wait, I was just trying to make, you know, some curious observations and have a fun conversation. And you're really not having a good time in it. So <laughs> what did you hear? What do you think I said? And then when it gets quoted back, I'm often like, wow. You think I said that, or I think you said that? No, the, the intention behind the words was completely lost going across the air in the room, you know? Um, so all of those little growth pieces have been beyond, uh, you know, just blessings on blessings on blessings to be able to be able to literally rewind.
situations. Beautiful. You know? yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. So um, I want to say a little bit about the arrow movements, and then we'll open it up to questions. Um, so sixes uh, go back against the arrow to nine and forward with the arrow to three. Um, so three in, has been called the stress point. Uh, nine would be the security point. Uh, so for sixes, um, anyone want to give an example of what it's like to go to nine as a security? So again, in, in our theory, you go back first and integrate the high side qualities of the arrow against, which in this case would be nine. And then that fortifies you internally to go with the arrow, which is the direction of real spiritual growth, um, to add in uh, the balancing effect of the arrow uh, point uh, ahead, which would be three in this case. So, can, yeah, you want to speak it. to that? I think, and, and, and I might be grossly interpreting what a nine does, but I know that for me, um, you know, when I was younger, I was way more, you know, oh my God, you know, those are fighting words, you know, this is a conflict. Um, and I think now when I see that stress, what is important for me to do is, like, I think about nines and I think about the way that nines can take these different viewpoints and kind of merge them with their own or merge with them. And so, you know, reminding myself, it was like that, you know, posted that said it's not personal, reminding myself about what a harmonious compromise could look like, mm. you know, so if someone uh, makes a suggestion for something that I just think is, you know, <laughs> horrific, you know, instead of immediately reacting, I, I have this rule for myself. If I'm really angry with someone, I wait a day to talk to them so that I can really think about it. And I'm usually a pretty quick thinker, but when I'm angry, I have to step away from it, mm -hmm. think about it, and then get back to it. Mm -hmm. And so usually by then I can kind of integrate, you know, where were they coming from? What, you mm -hmm. know, what is the position they're coming from? And the, the ability to, to play devil's advocate that a six has, it, it does make it easy for me to be empathetic with people. Well, this is the position they're in, so this is why they would suggest this. And so maybe I can find a way to come back at it from a point of view that isn't just, oh my God, you're endangering my safety or this is against my values or things like that. But, you know, here's what you're interested in. Here's what I'm interested in. Maybe we can come up with a compromise. Right. Mm -hmm. So like getting more connected to yeah. people, um, yeah. seeing more things from other people's points of view, as opposed to just maybe the scary scenario, yeah. scenario you might create in your head. Um, relaxing more, um, getting out of your head into your body. So this is really good for sixes to, to, to ground that the fearfulness in a sense of their own physical strength, uh, to so it's feeling more grounded by getting more connected to the body, almost like that head has a cushion, uh, the fear and the, to, to rest on. Um, and so then going to three would be more about um, taking the risk to be more on stage, you know, to be more recognized because as you probably hear, sixes are very um, self-deprecating, uh, not really owning their own authority, kind of um, taking the side of the underdog. Um, but at three, it al allows them to sort of be recognized more for their strengths, uh, for the things that they do really well, for the things that they can do, getting out of their head and into action. Um, allowing themselves to not get caught up in thinking too much before moving ahead and, and being more goal-oriented to get more things done and get out of any kind of analysis paralysis that's go going on. And, and also taking credit for the, the good things that they do instead of sort of hiding out from, from being recognized. Sometimes it said sixes are afraid of success. 
uh, as well uh, as other things. And that, and I've heard a six say, well, it makes you a target, uh, you know, so getting mm-hmm. out of that fearful sense about even having a success and allowing yourself to enjoy more success. Yeah. So Michael, do you have any comments or questions? I thought it was fascinating. I was thinking, uh, isn't Germany considered a six culture? Social six culture, Social yes, six Germany culture. is. I was thinking how um, effective in the military or similar things counterphobic sixes would be because they're hyper aware of the situation. And I think General McChrystal had a line that I always liked. He said, when you're with the enemy, be courteous, be nice, and have a plan to kill everybody in the room. Mm. And so it was that combination of you're courteous, you're civil, you're nice, you're aware of everything, and you could kill everybody in the room. And so it was that, at least it seems to me that I... I see that hyper alert scanning of everything and precisely that planning for every possibility. And then when you were on the plane that got hijacked, you go into this deep calm because you've thought this out already. You have your plan. And it seems to me that's a very, you know, uh, military ability. Mm, Yeah, there could be an application. One time I was with Ed and his family several years ago and we were at the farmer's market at the ferry building in San Francisco on a Saturday morning. And if you've ever been there, there's just people everywhere, right? It's a huge crowd. And, and I remember we were just standing there, like I think waiting, you know, just on our way somewhere. We're just standing there and Ed leans over and he says, now you see an environment like this? This is very difficult for me because I need to be paying attention to everything, you know? And I just thought it was such a poignant thing to, ref- and I was so glad he shared that with me of like, there's so much to pay attention to and the more complexity and people and everything that almost the more hyper alert uh, attention there there is being paid mm-hmm. yeah it's exhausting it's exhausting yeah it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah okay question uh, terry can you comment about introversion versus extroversion in this type is there anything that you say uniquely about it versus the other types I mean, like every type, I think any type can be both either extroverted or introverted. So I think that's the main thing. And even with fives, we say they're the most introverted, but that doesn't mean there couldn't be an extroverted five. Um, what what what's true for you guys around introversion, extroversion? I think we're potentially the type most likely to say both, mm. uh, because it be- depends. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> It's the whole di- like the dichotomous yes but no all all the way left all the way right like uh, you know we have a hard time figuring out our subtype because we feel like all three mm-hmm. have a hard time feeling like what what was my wing I spent a whole year being like what's my wing I'm a f- I have five wing seven wing five and it's like the answer is both and if I had to pick one I'd say that I'm fifty one percent seven wing and forty nine percent five wing mm-hmm. um, so there's just this. This idea of having to choose just one thing is almost impossible. Like with seven things to say, though. Well, there you go. <laughs> seven wing, there you go. But ambivalence, indecision, those kinds of things make me feel like, oh, I'm, I'm an extrovert right now, and then 20 minutes from now I'll be an introvert, and it's just a back and forth all, all the time. I always go to where do I recharge my batteries? Like, how do I 
refill my gas tank. And for me, that's introvert. I like my alone time. It's calm. There's not a lot of stimulus going around. I don't have to be paying attention to things. It gives me a chance to calm myself. So I would lean to the introvert side. And I remember yeah, you same. took you took the uh, an Enneagram test once and came out as a five. As a five, yeah. yes. Yeah. 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 One thing um, is that, uh, yeah, I totally agree with the halfway down the scale on things and all of that. I, there was something I wanted to say about the standing out and the target piece. Um, I really... Uh, I like to be underestimated. Mm. So I like to lower the expectations, <laughs> you see? So like if I'm playing, I was playing a game once, uh, it's Catan, I don't know if anybody's played this game, and you're sort of doing things with territory and whatnot, and I'm playing in a group, and there was a counterphobic six in the group, and we kept doing the same strategy against each other, like, <laughs> I don't have anything, look, I'm so undefended, and you can't come after me, and you see, I'm always like, downing my side mm. and pointing out how strong the other one is. They're at the target, mm. but don't underestimate a six because I love Noah's story of, I'm going to throw the wrench over here, but I got the yeah. screwdriver <laughs> right there so that you're not going to, that's the six. <laughs> you got to yeah. be careful. I'm just going to say, like, we're not to be trifled with, with you know, like, yes. but we're all, I also think that there is a lot of self-deprecation that comes with that and humor and Relatability. Anyway, I just yeah. wanted to say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Jerry. I'm, I'm curious to know if any of you have an awareness or a, a belief um, around being planning and predicting versus calling it in and manifesting it in your life. Like, do you find that some of the ways that you are vigilant and and predicting and things like that are actually asking for it to happen? Mm. <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> um, okay, I'll say when I hear the word manifesting, I think of that activity as very difficult because of the indecision and ambivalence and analysis paralysis. Um, I would say that. Yes, I, I put out an energy of the worst thing will happen, and sometimes it does feel like I attract toe stubs and banging my head on the cabinet and those kinds of things. <laughs> Just because I'm so concerned about them, I can actually be thinking about the thing I want to avoid, and it can happen to me while I'm spinning on it. Um, so yeah, that, that's a pretty difficult thing. I also, uh, I heard you just say the word expectations over there, and... I wanted to touch on that idea of meeting expectations of other people and covering all the bases in life and that kind of thing. Um, the, the, so you're, you're getting that vibe. We all, we all have that up here. Uh, Visible shiver. Yes. I like to say that my daily experience of what life feels like is as if I'm stuck in traffic and the person in front of me feels like I'm riding their bumper and the person behind me feels like I'm not going fast enough. And they're both mad at me for different reasons, opposite expectations, and I feel like I have to meet both. I feel like I have to speed up and slow down at every given moment of every day. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, uh, that one's, yeah, it's, 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 it's uh, part of the growth is the idea that it is not possible to cover every base. That was one of the things that I've had to accept as, a, as I've done this work, uh, and, you know, the idea of, you know, maybe some of those uncovered bases are, are important for how the world is going to shake out, you know. So that's been pretty tough. Okay. Yeah. 
I heard you guys both say aside it's exhausting. Yes. Mm. And I just wanted to let you know I feel exhausted because yeah. of the quality of your panel. I mean you really are. I have been exhausted. <laughs> and that's a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. I mean, I really want to thank you for the depth and quality of your chair. I mean, I, you know, I think I'm Mary Poem. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Annika? Me too. If you are distrusting authority so much, how in the world could you seek therapy? <laughs> I, I, I got that one. Okay. Go for it. I, uh, I've been in various sorts of therapy since I was probably about 12. I'm 45, and I just found a therapist that I could work with. It, it, I have a really serious mistrust of therapists. It just it took me a really, really long time to realize that it, it wasn't them, it was me. You know, <laughs> like how could all the therapists in Northern California be ridiculous, right? <laughs> so weird. Um, <laughs> so it, it's, it's hard. It's hard. I really, I absolutely had to get to the place where I realized it was my projection. It was my concern that I was putting what was inside out there for someone that they were going to tell me what to do with it. And maybe they were going to have me do crazy things, you know? Um, so yeah, it, it just, it took an actual active effort to say, I'm just going to stick with it. And this is what I'm supposed to do. And this is really healthy for me, but it, you know, it took <laughs> 30 years. For me, it was consistency. What you do know, you mean by that? How they showed up for me when I was there. You're watching. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. I was watching. Go there. Yeah. I had to go there. Well, yeah. for, for me, it was at a, at a point where I'm like, I'm at wit's end. I need help. I'm, I'm not getting it in my current surroundings. I'm going to go seek some professional help. And it's not that I wasn't you know, suspect to it, you know? And so... He had a recommendation from a really, really? good friend. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Who he trusts. <laughs> that helps a lot. <laughs> if you don't trust anyone, so how do you get to the point? It's not that you don't trust anybody. It's, it's a matter of learning to trust them. So you're, you're being vigilant and watching them and seeing how consistent they are. And after a period of time, you're, you're able to let your guard down a little bit. You know where they're coming from. You've been watching them, whether they're aware of it or not. Poking. Poking. Yeah. yeah. Poking and they're, and they're acting, I mean, oh, they're, they're having the right response when you poke them, potentially. We teach um, and we do a professional workshop for people, for therapists and coaches working with people of different Enneagram types. And one of the things we teach therapists and coaches, when you're working with a six, they will need to trust you. And so that means you need to recognize that and you need to be trustworthy. So in other words, if you are doing little things that are little bit questionable, like maybe you're starting late or maybe you shared something about another client, you know, that they are going to notice that. And so, I mean, one of the ways to, for us on this side of it to handle that is to be trustworthy, right? To be honest, to be transparent, to, if you make a mistake, admit it, things like that. that yeah. Yeah. That yeah. You want to say one more thing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. No. What what goes a long way? Making the mistake and admitting yeah. it. It, right. it gives us yeah. a, a big sense of calm that you can you can own that piece, and then we can own that too. Because a lot of people yeah. don't, right? Yeah. yeah. Noah, are you going to say something? Um, since you mentioned coaching, yeah, there's uh, 
to me, health coaching was the answer to, to the question you're asking of being able to, how can I go if I don't trust authority and give myself over? Uh, the idea of a helping relationship or a, you know, a growth relationship with another individual who is on my plane, meaning a health coach is known as more of an advocate and an equal in the relationship, mm. not the expert who is right. talking down to you. And so essentially, if you're willing to work with me and help me and say, I'm not an authority, I'm on the same level as you, I'm very much more likely to engage in that healing relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you can come alongside me and say, we're in this together, as opposed to I'm up here and you're down there. How can I use my power to help you down there? Mm -hmm. It's a very different uh, feeling that I think as a six, I'm much more comfortable with. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, would you be willing to talk about how you sussed out for yourselves um, the difference between like relentless mentalizing and projecting fears as opposed to hearing your own or feeling your own intuition? That's an important question for sixes. Is this projection or intuition? What, what do you guys think? And how do you get to it? How do you get to intuition? Yeah, that's a, that's a key, key question. Well, for me, I allow myself to go all the way down the rabbit hole with the worst case projections. I don't try to stop it or control it. I let it go, I look at it, and then I back up and I say, how does this feel? You know, what, what is my body telling me about that mental process? Mm. How likely is that to occur? And, and, and that helps a lot. I mean, it, it provides a certain level of calmness without judging myself for going down the rabbit hole in the first place. Yeah. Anyone else want to say about the, how do you tell the difference between projection and intuition? Um, so the thought loop that I talked about earlier, I can tell very easily that that thought loop comes from me. And I know that intuition hypothetically would come from me as well. But for me, I can feel intuition when it's the first thing that comes in and there is no thought loop following it because it feels like, almost feels like it was beamed in from up there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just beamed in, bing. And so essentially when I get in some kind of intuitive knowingness or answer from somewhere that I don't feel I can question because of the inherent truth in it, there's no questions to ask. That's kind of how I know, because I always have questions to ask. Mm -hmm. But when I can't come up with a question, that's when something magical is happening, you know? Right, so right. does it ever come from below rather than from <laughs> this way? You know what I'm saying? I, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to reconcile that, uh, which is that, you know, for me, you know, I, I, I don't really know how to discern this idea of gut versus divine or anything like that. But I know that I've spent my whole life rejecting my gut. So this very well may be an active case of projection where I take what is actually coming in here and I'm putting it up there, <laughs> you know? Yeah. One more, Courtney. As a six myself, it's really awesome to hear you guys speak. And I think what was even more like crazy of a reflection I was having was listening to everyone else respond like non-verbally and size and things to what you guys were saying, because up until... I started this work, I thought everyone thought like me, you know, like I thought everyone was as critical as I was, 
I was like, oh, that's just normal. Like, this is normal. And then, you know, you learn, no, that's not how everyone thinks. (laughs) (laughs) But these are your people. (laughs) And I was actually thinking during the five panel, I was like, okay, yeah, I can relate to that. But then hearing how you guys verbalize your thoughts is like really the, like defining thing for me. I was like, oh yeah, that's what I do. (laughs) But um, what I wanted to ask for you guys to speak to is something that really resonated with me um, in B's nine types of leadership about six is it talks about the ping-ponging like being very inconsistent going back and forth between like um it was like you could be mad or sad happy or like distrustful or very trusting or like you know just when you spoke to being looking for inconsistent inconsistencies but being inconsistent and looking for the inconsistencies so you guys like does that resonate with you guys at all like i felt for me i'm very like back and forth with lots of different sorts of Oh yeah. Of beings. Anything more you can say about that? What's that what that's like, what it's about? I can. <laughs> <laughs> that's Ed's girlfriend. She says I can. <laughs> it's so hard to speak to. Like I try to explain it to people and they're like, I don't know what you mean by a ping pong ball. And I'm like I, I well. can say one thing about it, actually. Um, I just to sort of claim some of the gifts because I feel like us sixes can really throw ourselves under the bus very quickly. That's part of our whole pattern, right? Like, go for my jugular. It's right here. (laughs) I'm not a threat. Right. (laughs) Exactly. But I I feel like that also allows a kind of flexibility. Mm. And to me, it's the foundation of empathy. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like how the nines can really feel into all the different types. I feel like there's part of that for me, too, in in the constant being able to do all these different things. Mm. So... I feel I feel like it's the basis of, of a lot of empathy. I mean, it's really true that, I mean, when I do typing interviews, I often know I'm dealing with a six when they start to say in response to every question, it depends, it mm. depends. And they're, they're, sixes are very context dependent and sensitive. It's like, well, it depends on what I'm seeing happen in that situation. It could be something totally different, kind of like they were saying and, and Noah saying, he depending on this situation, I could be over here or that person. So I do think there's a mental flexibility in it. And I do think there's a readiness to try on different ideas mm. as a way of analyzing different situations. So especially when I work in businesses, I always say these are people who, because sometimes sixes get a bad rap on teams because they're perceived as negative, because they poke holes in projects and they ask people a lot of questions so people can feel like they're doubting them. But the thing is, it's like the, these are people you want, these are people who can think so so flexibly about so many different things that they can think through different scenarios. So I think part of it is just trying different things on and being able to kind of put your head into that space and then into that space. And sometimes when your head's in this space, you might have a certain feeling about that. And then if it's over here, you might have a different feeling. And so I think there is that flexibility. Do you want to say something to that? Yeah, I was going to say, and I, I, I don't, I feel uncomfortable sometimes talking about things that I'm good at because um, mm-hmm. that's that's just really hard. But that's good for us to know. It, mm-hmm. It's but one of the things that I'll do if I'm when I'm really comfortable in a situation is I'll do I will be able to do something instinctually that wouldn't necessarily come naturally, but is the right thing to do. And then in my head I'll go, Oh my god, what did I just do? But it'll it'll have been the right thing. Right. You so know, you and still so doubt it a little right. bit. Right. So the more comfortable I am, the more I can do that without overthinking it. And then 
later when I think about it to try to decide who I need to apologize to, then I'll realize, no, that was that was the right thing to do in that right. situation. And that's, I think, another growth path is rec- is owning your strength, owning, getting, having more confidence in yourself and your authority and your ability. Because, I mean, all this thinking over here, there's a lot of wisdom. Mm. Um, and so I, I think it's good to end on that high note. And thank you very, very much. Thank you very, very much. You've been listening to a TNS episode documenting the Type 6 panel from the Enneagram Workshop Series. Thank you for listening to TNS, the new school at Commonweal. The new school at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams. And our theme music is by Suzanne Ciani. Visit us online at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, and Vimeo. Thanks for listening.